everybody. We're so glad that you're here. We're, if you're joining us online, we're glad that you're with us as well. We're going to start off with this morning. We're going to sing about the battle belongs to the Lord. Will you stand with us and stand, stand with us and let's sing. This may be a little bit new to you, but this is how it goes. Here we go. Jesus. 
nothing can stand against the Come on, you sing it. Here we go. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows, you win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Almighty fortress, you go before us.
just saying that you are awesome. You are great. Whatever word we use is just not enough because you are so great. Lord, we ask you now to, well, first of all, we thank you for coming into our presence and being willing to be here with us. And so, Lord, we're asking right now that you'll pierce our hearts with your message, the message of your truth. You'll bring about change in our lives because we have experienced you here today. Be with Brady as he comes and brings your message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. copy of God's Word, will you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17? 1 Samuel 17, as you're turning there, I want to take just a moment to invite you to our Wednesday nights here at First Baptist. We are kicking off, kicking off a new round of adult classes this Wednesday night, and we would love for you to be there. I'm teaching a class um, called You Are a Theologian, where we're going to examine eight Christian doctrines for that should change your everyday life. And I would love for you to come to that. If you've ever thought, I would love to know more about my faith. I would like to grow in a deeper understanding of God or the Bible. Come join me in this class. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, come here six o'clock in the worship center, and we would love to have you um, starting this Wednesday. But this morning, we're in our second week of our series in the life of David. 
David's one of the most interesting people in all of human history. He has had incredible successes, spectacular failures, and each week we're looking at key episodes in the life of David. And we're going to learn from his example, we're going to learn truths about God, and ultimately how David's life points forward to King Jesus. And this week we're going to look at one of the most well-known stories about David, the story of David and Goliath. And it's a message about courage and fear. The truth is, we all deal with fear. We all know it from when we are young to when we are old. When we're young, fear takes a certain shape. Do y'all remember back to elementary school? What were you afraid of in elementary school, all right? Well, there's a couple of things. You're afraid of, if you sit by that person, they're not going to like you. You're going, maybe you're afraid of that test you're going to have to take, that they've introduced this new math concept called multiplication, right? And you're having to take the multiplication test. But as you grow, your fears get bigger and more complex. When you get to junior high and you ask that girl out on a date, there is great fear in that. When you try to try out for the basketball team or the football team, when you try to be in the band, there's a different kind of fear. Then there's a fear about going to college or starting a career, fear about joining the military, fear about getting married, fear about having children. As you get older, fear takes on another shape as maybe a loved one gets sick and you have the fear of losing someone you love. Fear grows even till one day where that diagnosis comes and death is facing you and you now have a different sense of fear. The truth is we live in a world that often has scary things going on in it and fear is going to be there. The question isn't whether or not that we ever experience fear. The question is how do we deal with fear? And this story of David and Goliath will teach us how we can have courage even in a world filled with fear. But the key to answering how do we have courage in this world the key to it is knowing who we are supposed to identify with in the story of David and Goliath. One Bible teacher, Tim Keller, says that Christians fail to truly understand the story of David and Goliath, though they're familiar with it, because they tend to see themselves in the wrong character. They tend to see themselves in the character of David. They see themselves as the hero. Now, what would it reveal about us that we tend to see ourselves as the hero of the story? But we do, don't we? And he says we actually are to put ourselves in the shoes of someone else in the story. That if we really want to understand courage and fear in the story of David and Goliath, the people that we need to identify with is the people of Israel. And I want you to watch this morning as we walk through this story, how the people of Israel go from being filled with fear to being filled with courage. Well, what happens? Well, that's our big idea this morning. Our big idea this morning is the only way we can live with true courage is by looking to the victory of the king. The only way that we can be filled with true courage is by looking to the victory of the king. So in 1 Samuel 17, we find Israel in desperate need of courage. God has promised the land to Israel, and he commands them. He, he tells the king Saul and to all the people that they are to drive out the enemy from their land. But they do not have the courage to do so. They're too afraid. And scholars, are, they point out as they study this text that in 1 Samuel 17, you have four different characters who show different kinds of courage. Four different characters with different kinds of courage that I want to show you this morning. Let's dive into verse 1 and we'll, we'll, we'll point them out as we go along. The Philistines gathered their forces for war at Sokah in Judah. This is in Israel. And they camped between Sokah and Azekah in Ephes Demim. So we have the Philistines. Who were they? Well, the Philistines were the perpetual enemies of Israel. They were one of the most technologically advanced civilizations of the time, and they were the first to have weapons made with bronze and iron. And they controlled three major cities in Israel. They have a conquest going to try to take Israel, and they've got three major cities. They've got superior technology. They're, they're 
always the enemy of Israel during this time. They're technologically advanced. They look like the superior force. And so Israel is afraid, even though God had told them they could take the land and that they should drive out the Philistines, Israel is afraid. So verse 2, Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on one hill, and the Israelites were standing on another hill in a ravine between them. So picture it. You have the Philistine army over here on one side, a valley in the middle, and on the other side, the Israel army. Think of it like a football game. You have Coffee County on this side and Tullahoma on this side, but where must the battle be fought? Not in the stands, not on the sidelines. The battle must be fought in the field of battle. And that's what's happening here. You have each group on camped on each side, and the valley must be the fight must be fought in the valley. And then in verse 4, then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall and wore a bronze helmet and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was bronze armor on his shins and a bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. Why are we given such a detailed description of what Goliath was wearing? Did God just want us to understand Philistine armor? No, that's not it. He's wanting to make a particular point about Goliath. Look at his technological superiority. Look at how much he had covering him. Look how much weaponry he had. He was filled from head to toe with armor. He was technologically superior to the Israelite army. And he stood and he shouted to the Israelite battle formations. Why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He asked them, am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Goliath is challenging Israel to what was known in the ancient world as representative warfare. Each side would choose a champion, and Goliath was the champion of the Philistines. And each side would choose this champion, and they would come down into the valley, and they would battle. And whoever won, their side won. If your champion won, then you won. If your champion lost, then you lost. And this was a way to avoid a lot of bloodshed. Verse 10. Then the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we could fight each other. So Goliath boldly is challenging Israel to a fight. And he's our first picture of courage. Our first picture of courage is Goliath. And he has a self-based courage. Goliath has courage, but the problem is it's the wrong kind. Where does his courage come from? It comes from his size. He was taller than everyone else. And don't you imagine that Goliath was always the tallest kid in his class? Like, when he tried out for third-grade upward basketball, they're like, what, what are you talking about? Show me your birth certificate, kid. There is no way you fit in third grade. You need to join the high school team, right? You're already 6'7", and it's third grade, right? No dunking allowed in third-grade upward basketball. But see, Goliath was always taller. He had this confidence because he was always bigger than everyone else. And he had courage because he was physically superior, but he also trusted his own ability to fight. Think how many people that Goliath had killed. He, at this point, he probably has killed thousands of men. He has seen many men die at the end of his sword. He's not fearful. He's been into battle many times, and he's walked out every time. 
So Goliath trusts in his size, he trusts in his own ability to fight, but he also trusts in his technology. He has superior armor, superior weaponry. He is feeling good, and what does he do? He goes and defies all of Israel, and he goes out with all of his bravado out into the valley, and he says, Oh Israel, come fight me. I defy you and your God, and I know that I have the ability to take out whoever you send. Send your best warrior down, and I will get rid of him. You see, Goliath is filled with courage. It's just the wrong kind. You see, people still have this approach to courage today. That when they are afraid, they just think, look within yourself. Look, at, look within you. Find the inner courage. Look inside yourself for courage. I mean, you're actually better than you think you are. You're great. Look inside yourself. But actually, what we learn in this story is we are not to look inside of ourselves for courage. We're to look outside of ourselves and that to the victory of our king. You see, true courage doesn't come from within. It doesn't come from your accomplishments or how great you are. True courage comes from looking to the Lord. So first, we see Goliath's self-based courage. Secondly, let's go to our next character in verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. Saul, the king, is terrified. That's our second character. Saul, and what kind of courage did he have? He had no courage. He was afraid. He was fearful. Saul was the king of Israel. He was selected because he was taller than everyone else and was a good fighter. He was, his job from God was to protect God's people. And God had promised to Saul that they would drive out all the people of the land, that they would have victory over the Philistines. In Saul's job, God had told him, Saul, your job is to get the Philistines out of the land. That's his job. That's what he is to do. But he's afraid to do what God's called him to do. Why did he have no courage? Because Saul did not trust in the promises of God. He did not trust in the promises of God, and so he was without courage. And did you notice what happened? When the king failed to have courage, what happened to the people? They began to fear. When their king, who was supposed to protect them, ran and hid and was afraid of the enemy, what did they do? They were fearful and afraid. Saul didn't trust that God would come through, that he would keep his promises. You see, Saul's failure became the people's failure. Saul's fear became their fear. Often, we, off, we also experience a lack of courage because we fail to trust in the promises of God, that we do not trust that he will keep his promises every time. So for 40 days, Goliath comes out into that valley, and he says, I defy the God of Israel. I challenge you, send down your best man. Who will fight me? And for 40 days, the one man that God had called to protect them had made a promise to that he could drive out the Philistines. Saul cowers away. Well, at this point, David's three oldest brothers are part of the Israelite army, and they're at camp with Saul. But David's at home tending sheep with his father. And his dad, Jesse, says, Son, could you go check on the three oldest? They're out there with Saul, and I kind of want to know what's happening on the front line. So here's uh, a snack. He kind of gets basically the, the ancient Lunchable. He puts it together, and he sends it out and gives a care package to those on the front lines. And he takes it out to them, and they get out to the, the front lines. And when David's there, he gives the snack to his brothers, and while he's there, he just happens to be there at the exact time when Goliath comes out for his daily trash talk to Israel. He comes out and he says, I'm here. I defy the God of Israel. Who will you send down to fight me? Who will have courage to step up and fight me, the mighty Goliath? Will anyone come down and fight me? Well, David hears this. And he looks around. He's like, nobody going to step up? He looks at his older brothers, not y'all. Saul, the king, why isn't anyone stepping up and fighting for our God? 
He's defying our God. He is mocking our God. Why is no one stepping up? He says, if no one's going to step up, I'll fight him. I'll do it, he says. Verse 30, look, look at verse 23. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him, terrified. What David saw, verse 31, was overheard, because David says, I'll step up and fight him, and we reported to Saul. So he had David brought to him. David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant, he's saying himself, will go and fight the Philistine. Which leads us to our third picture of courage, which is David and true courage. True courage. So Saul replies, verse 33, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young. David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. He says, Saul, listen, you're, wor you're worried about me fighting Goliath? I've killed lions and bears, no worries. You're, so he says, there, your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Now, what, I want you to notice something. Goliath bragged in himself, and he trusted in himself. Now, at face value, it kind of seems like David is doing the same thing, doesn't it? It seems like David's saying, look, I can do it because I've, I've beaten some lions and bears. I can take on Goliath. Well, watch what he says here. Then, then David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of of the Philistine. David is not trusting in himself. He's trusting in the fact that every time he went through a battle, it was God who got him through that battle, not himself. So David isn't looking within. He's looking to the Lord's faithfulness. He says, Saul, if God delivered me from a bear, he can deliver me from the Philistine because God is just as much more powerful over Goliath as he was the bear. Here's what I want you to know this morning. There is no problem that you are facing that is bigger than God. There is no situation that you are facing that God is like, you know what, this was just too big for me. That's not it. God can handle whatever you're facing. So, verse 38, Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put on a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk but he was not used to them he said I can't walk in these David said to Saul I'm not used to them so David took them off so as we go into battle Goliath is the high-tech warrior and David is the low-tech warrior he's not going to wear any armor he's just not going to work for him verse 40 instead he took his staff in his hand and five and chose five smooth stones from the wadi, which is the, the brook, and put them in the pouch, in his shepherd's bag. Then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine came closer and closer to David, with a shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him, because he was just a youth, healthy, and handsome. And what did we learn last week? That David had a boyish appearance. He hadn't, a, he hadn't grown a beard yet. Looked more like Justin Bieber than William Wallace, right? And so when he comes down to fight Goliath, this hardened warrior, Goliath is offended. He's offended. He says, you're going to send this boyish boy to come and fight me with his slingshot? Who do you think you are? I am the great warrior. I am the man who've killed thousands. I am Goliath of Gath. Who are you to send me someone like him? He said to David, Am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David 
by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I will give you your flesh to the birds of the sky and to the wild beasts. So the trash talking begins, right? I don't know if this always happened in ancient battles, but this is what happened then and still happens today if you watch a UFC fight, right? They start getting at each other like this. And so, so uh, Goliath begins with this idea and he starts going, listen, you come to me and I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the sky. Well, David isn't above a little trash talking. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied them. And today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I will strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God. That's courage, isn't it? And this whole assembly, notice this, and this whole assembly says, the people over there and the people over there who are just spectators to this battle, the whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves because the, for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. Not a bad trash talker for a boy. He's full of confidence and courage. Not because he's looking within himself. Who does he say will give the victory that day? The Lord will give the victory. So what happens? Verse 48. When the Philistines started forward to attack him. I love the details here, by the way. David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone and slung it and hit the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. So David killed Goliath with that stone. But can you imagine what everyone on each side's thinking at this point. The Israelite army over here, the Philistine army over here, the trash talking begins, and within 30 seconds, the battle's over. Goliath had won thousands of battles, and within 30 seconds, it's over. Goliath starts running at him. David pulls out the slingshot, shoots one shot, and Goliath is dead. Can you imagine on the Philistine side, they're saying, what happened? Is he, is he just knocked out? Is he okay? What's going on here? The Israelites, did that boy just do it? His brothers are like, that's our little brother. That's our little brother, you know, kind of thing. And so they start seeing this and they're like, what's going to happen next? He's laying there and David, verse 51, this is the part that people always didn't teach me in Sunday school, all right? And so we want to make sure we get this part today. David ran and stood over him and he grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from its sheath, and he used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head and when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled. David didn't hesitate once Goliath went down. He sprints over. Since he doesn't have a sword, he asks Goliath, can I borrow yours? Goliath didn't have anything to say about it. <laughs> He's not going to need it anymore. Um, and he immediately cuts Goliath's head off. Now, this seems gruesome to us. This is so important because what it's showing to both groups who are sitting up on the hill is that the battle is over. The victory has been won by the true king. You see, David has cut off the head of the enemy and what happens to the people on the sides? The Philistines, who were so confident 10 minutes ago, now flee and are filled with fear. And what happens to Israel? Those people who were too afraid to fight because they were looking to the coward Saul now look to a true and better king and they look to David and as he stands there and Goliath's head is cut off, they now know they have no reason to fear because God will keep his promises and he will drive out the Philistines. And what did they do? They finally get into the battle. Look at verse 52. 
Then the men of Israel and Judah rallied, shouting their battle cry. And they chased the Philistines to the entrance of the valley and the gates of Ekron. Philistine bodies were strewn all along Shariam, the Shariam Road to Gath and Ekron. And this is our fourth group we see. Israel has a renewed courage. They were filled with fear at the beginning of the story, but now they have a renewed courage. What changed? What changed was where they were looking. What changed was what they saw. They were looking to the king who was afraid, but now they put on their eyes unto the victory of the king. Remember I said that the key to this story is knowing who we are to identify with. And we are to understand what happened to Israel. And here's our big idea. The only way we can live with true courage is by looking to the victory of the king, just like they did. But how does that apply to us? You say, well, we don't have a king. What's, what's going on? How does this apply? Well, here's what I want you to see this morning as our application. David's victory is a foreshadowing of the victory of Jesus on the cross. The way that it functions in what's called biblical typology is that David's victory over Goliath was pointing forward. It was a foreshadow of what Jesus would do on the cross. You see, David defeated the giant Goliath, but Jesus takes on the real giants that we face. He takes on the real enemies, not just the Philistines. He takes on a, a bigger enemy. He goes to face sin, death, and Satan himself on the cross. Jesus, like David, was born in Bethlehem, but instead of going to a valley to fight, where does he go to fight? He goes to a mountain, to a place called Calvary. And like David, when Jesus goes to the cross, enters into representative warfare. He goes to fight on behalf of God's people. And he says, I'm going to battle. And if I win, you win, God's people. Because if I win at the cross, if I win in the tomb, then you win. And so he goes to fight on our behalf. And he goes to the cross and he takes our sin upon himself. He takes the death that we deserve. But here's what I want you to know. On the third day, Jesus walked right out of that tomb, victorious over sin, death, and hell. In that moment, when David cuts Goliath's head off, it signaled to both camps that the whole assembly would know who had won that day. I want you to know that's exactly what Easter is. When Jesus walks out of the tomb, it's as if he's holding up Goliath's head and saying, I have defeated death, I have defeated sin, I have defeated hell for you. You can trust me. You do not have to have fear. You can have courage because I have defeated every one of your enemies and all you have to do is look to the victory of your king and when you do, you can have courage to get in the fight. You see, Jesus' victory can become yours. His courage can become yours. So this morning, I'm going to give you three quick points of application. Three quick points of application. Because of the victory of Jesus, I want to show you, you have three things you do not have to fear. Number one, you do not have to fear rejection. No one likes being rejected. We want people's approval. We don't want anyone to think bad of us. But here's what I want you to know. That you can face rejection in this world because in Christ you have the approval of God and that's what the cross is all about. He has taken your sin and he has paid for it and therefore you have the approval of God so you can face rejection even in this world. Secondly, because of the victory of Jesus, you don't have to fear failure. You don't have to feel failure. Failure often feels like a verdict on our lives. When someone, when that young boy asks that girl uh, to, to go out on the date and she says no, it feels like a failure. He feels, it feels like a verdict on him of not being enough and something's wrong with him. When you don't get that job, it feels like something's wrong with me. When something, when you make a mistake at work and your boss has to get on to you, it feels like, man, I'm a failure. And it feels like this verdict comes down and you're just, you're so afraid of all of these things. But here's what I want you to know, that in Christ, through his victory, God's verdict on your life has already been declared that you are his son or daughter whom he loves. And that verdict isn't changing by how you perform in this life. He has declared it by the blood of Jesus that you belong to him. Therefore, you do not have to fear failure because Jesus's success is your success and you can trust in him. So you don't have to fear rejection, you don't have to fear failure, and you don't have to fear, thirdly, death. 
when we look to the victory of the cross, to Jesus' death and resurrection, we can see that Jesus has taken the penalty of our sin. He's taken death itself for us. That if you believe in Jesus, death will not be the end of your story. A few years ago, I heard a story about a man who was driving with his daughter down the interstate. And the little girl starts yelling at her dad. She's in the car seat in the back. Dad, there's a bee in the car. There's a bee in the car. Which is always disturbing, right? But this girl was very allergic to bees. And she says, Dad, Dad, the bee, the bee. And he pulls over and he sees the bee and it starts flying around and all of a sudden he sees it and he grabs the bee and for 20 to 30 seconds he just holds on to the bee. She's crying. He lets go and the bee starts flying around again. She says, Dad, no, don't let it go. Don't let it go. And then he looks out and he shows her in his hand the stinger that he's allowed the bee to sting him. And he says, listen, that bee is not going to hurt you now because its sting is out. You're safe. It can't hurt you now. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus went to the cross, he put out his hands and said, death, put your stinger in me. That when death comes from each and every one of us, we do not have to fear because Jesus is saying to us, it can never hurt you. You see, brothers and sisters, because Jesus is the true and better David, because he is the one who has ultimately won victory for us over sin, over death, over Satan, because he has been the ultimate champion, he has fought on our behalf, we, like Israel, can move from being filled with fear to filled with courage. Oh, but here's the catcher. It's not from looking within ourselves and saying, oh, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. It's not giving yourself a pep talk. It's instead getting your eyes off yourself and putting your eyes on the only place that can truly give you courage, and that is on the victory of your king. This morning, if you need courage, we must put our eyes on Jesus. And when we do, we can face anything this world has to offer, even if it's almost 10 feet tall. If God can give victory to Israel through a boy like David, and he can give victory to us through Jesus Christ. This morning, we should not be a people of fear, amen? amen. We should be a people filled with courage. Not just because David cut off Goliath's head, but because there's an empty tomb in the Middle East. And because that tomb is empty, we know the throne of God is not. Brothers and sisters, we have a king, and because we have a king, we can have courage. Let's pray together. Father, help us be filled with courage this morning. Help us look to our King and let us celebrate the fact that He has won the victory for us. Father, we pray that you will inspire us, encourage us, not just give us, cheer us up, but encourage us to put courage in us to live with faith, to do what's right, to stand for where we, what we need to stand for, to say what we need to say. May we look to the victory of our King, and may we follow Him this day. I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, the way we're going to respond is by celebrating the victory of the King. And the song we're going to sing is going to ask a question. Is Jesus worthy to be your King? Is he worthy to be worshipped? Is he worthy to be celebrated? Because if he is the worthy king, he's worthy of our trust. And so this morning, let's stand and sing about the worthiness of our king. broken we do do you feel the 
shadows deepen. We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Is all creation groaning? Is. Is a new creation coming? Is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Sing this with us. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave, he is David's root and the Lamb who died. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? Yeah. Does the Father truly love us? Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Sing it with us. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave, he is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, Every nation and tongue, he has made us a kingdom, a priest to God, to reign with the Son. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? things. Uh, Brady has already mentioned uh, his adult class, uh, CDP, happening Wednesday night. We have a couple more uh, that are also starting. Uh, Jake is leading one on the character of Christ and how much God loves us. Uh, also, we have a men's study on Daniel, a women's study, When You Pray. It's the one that's been going on in the mornings. On Monday mornings, we'll have a Wednesday night option for that. And then I'll be leading the further discussion where we'll dig deeper into each week's sermon and discuss that together. So we're going to begin at 6 o'clock here in this room, have our prayer time, sing a little bit, do some other things, and then we'll dismiss the classes. And um, hope you'll be here for that. 
Uh, also, our intercessory prayer ministry, we have sign-ups at the Welcome Center. So uh, what we try to accomplish each year is that we would have somebody from our church praying every hour of the day, uh, at least 15 minutes of that hour. Uh, we have some prayer guides available, and if they run out, we'll print more so you can grab them uh, in the coming days. Uh, and uh, this is just a way that we offer prayers on behalf of First Baptist Church and what's going on in the world, and uh, that our people are uh, praying and, uh, and uh, leaning into God as he guides us as a church and as his people. So uh, I want to encourage you to do that uh, this morning and in the next few days. So uh, you can look in your worship guide there for other announcements. Things are happening. Uh, those studies that I mentioned, if you can go to the uh, events page on the, the website, uh, the Planning Center app, you can see those. You can even register for them. You can go ahead and tell us that you plan to come, and that'll help us with some of our, our planning and that sort of thing. So let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. God, we thank you for your love for us, and we thank you that uh, you show your power over death and over sin, and, and that uh, um, we see you as the, the worthy king, God. Uh, thank you for the courage that we can have. Uh, let us be uh, reminded of, of that we can lean into the courage you provide because of who you are and what you've done and that you are the conquering king, God. We thank you so much for that. We thank you for love, your love for us. We thank you for Jesus and what he did on this cross. And, and, and it's his name we pray. Amen. Three. Then it sings my soul.